Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast where we're living for mental health, love and compassion. It's really great to have your company. My name is Caroline Heim and I'm sitting here with Dr. Christian Heim. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about linking pleasure and purpose. This episode is part three of a three-part series on pleasure and addiction. So how about a summary of today's podcast, Christian? Summary of today's podcast. Today is going on with that theme of linking pleasure and purpose. If you go for pleasure first, you may end up in misery and pain, but if you connect pleasure with purpose, you'll have a winning combination for your brain. All right, so today is basically powering through a whole lot of techniques on connecting pleasure and purpose on the first podcast of this series, we looked at connecting pleasure with your future purpose and your future self. Last week, we looked at connecting pleasure in your brain with purpose in your mind so that you can become like a rider of a wild horse. This week, we're going to power through some techniques to be in charge of your brain, to connect pleasure and purpose, to take control of your horse, to have more pleasure in your life and scientifically, to survive well. So in other words, how to maximize your pleasure and prevent addiction. Okay, so let's get straight into the techniques. What's the first technique? Go for the golden mean. The what? The golden mean. The golden mean goes back to Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. These guys thought a lot about how we should live. Right, okay. So what does the golden mean mean? The golden mean mean? The mean, golden mean. mean means all things in moderation. I'll give you some examples. All right, let's take a food example. Too little and you starve. Too much, you get obese. Enjoy your food. Going with money, too little, you're being stingy. If you give away too much, you're being wasteful. The golden mean is be generous. Let's talk about self-esteem. If you have too little, it's inferiority. If you have too much, it's like being a narcissist. You want to go for healthy self-esteem. The golden mean in playing is no play is dull. All play and no work is procrastination. So you want to go for work first, play later. Or let's say in mood, too little of this you end up depressed too much. You end up manic. You want to go for happiness or the golden mean in courage. If you don't have enough, you're a coward. If you have too much, you can become foolish and reckless. The extremes can get you into trouble. The golden mean, which is courage, is good living. Also in how you express yourself. Don't be passive but don't be aggressive either. The golden mean is being assertive. Now that sounds a little bit like Goldilocks, not too much and not too little. Yeah, we want to get it just right. In society at the moment, we have this tendency to think in what we call binaries. One or the other, look good, bad, up, down, rich, poor. Yeah, but the golden mean makes us think a bit more deeply to strike a balance doesn't sound sexy, not fun. Yeah, but if you can avoid the extremes, you'll end up with more pleasure. All right, so what's the golden mean for pleasure? If you don't have enough, your life becomes boring. If you have too much, 
you get addicted. You go for real pleasure. And to do that, you use temperance. Temperance, that sounds like a really archaic term. What what on earth is temperance? Yeah, temperance is pretty boring. It's a pretty boring word. Okay, so here's temperance. Temperance is finding the balance, going for the middle. Instead of wiping yourself out on a drinking splurge or giving up alcohol completely, decide on a limit and really enjoy it. This is what's called temperance. It's avoiding the extremes. You don't have to have killjoy austerity, but you don't want to kill brain overindulgence either. So temperance can lead to more pleasure, less pain, short term and long term. Sounds good. How does it increase your pleasure though? If you use temperance in drinking, for example, your total life pleasure increases amazingly. You'll live longer, You'll remember the night, you'll make less mistakes, you'll function the next day, you have more money, and you still get to enjoy alcohol. That means more pleasure. But how does it decrease your pain? You won't make as many bad decisions. You won't get sick. You won't rot your stomach in the future. You won't be at a higher risk for cancers. You will get rid of a lot of pain. I haven't got onto the benefits for your future self yet. Your future self will be healthier and wealthier. Temperance makes use of the law of diminishing returns. The law of diminishing returns. Yes, the law of diminishing returns. In drinking, you enjoy drink number five a lot less than drink number one. And drink number 10, you may not even remember. This is the law of diminishing returns. The cost is the same for each drink. Each drink will cost however much it costs. But the pleasure as you go on is less. You get diminishing returns with each drink you take. Means a lot less pleasure and it means more pain if you keep going. All right, let's take ice cream. The first mouthful of ice cream may taste wonderful. The second bowlful is okay, but the third tubful will just make you sick and your vomit will gross out your friends. Same with beer, same with anything actually. With temperance, you only have to give up the later, smaller pleasures. You can still have that first beer, that second beer, maybe that third beer, but you don't want to have the eighth beer or the ninth beer. That way you get to have the big pleasures first. Okay, and while we're on the law of diminishing returns, we may as well look at the law of opportunity cost. The law of opportunity cost, what's that? The law of opportunity cost means that Anything you spend your time or your money on could be spent somewhere else. So let's look at the money that you spend on drugs. You could be saving that for an overseas holiday. And I actually use the law of opportunity cost as an incentive for people to give up smoking because each year they could go for a trip to Europe or they could go on a cruise or they could go for a flight anywhere and have a great holiday, or they could smoke. Their choice. It's all opportunity cost. Or they could buy a jet ski. They could. Or they could buy a new wardrobe. That's right. It just goes on. Okay, so how can I apply the golden mean for more pleasure? All right. Uh, Let's say you like internet games. Okay, but limit yourself to one hour a day of internet games instead of eight hours a day. Or gambling. You could set aside $50 a week for gambling rather than losing thousands. Or let's say shopping. You may buy two outfits every season rather than four outfits every week. 
you put a limit that is okay so that you can still enjoy whatever it is that you need to enjoy. Don't cut it out completely, but don't overindulge. You decide. You get more pleasure for less cost. Okay, so we've got the first technique. Go for the golden mean. Let's keep powering through. What's the next technique? The next technique to get more pleasure in your life is practicing gratitude. 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 Okay, we talk a lot about gratitude. Sure sounds sappy and boring. It's all everywhere at the moment. Yeah, talk about it. The secret is that if, if you're genuine about it, it's actually in, uh, effective. It quickly increases your real pleasure and your long-term contentment. Before you say, oh, I want to feel good, just think about what you already have in your life to feel good about. A place to sleep, safety, food, parents, an annoying brother or sister, friends, opportunity, a free country, a job, or whatever study that you do, whatever purpose you have, and more. Just thinking about these things can bring real pleasure and contentment if you notice them and if you're grateful for them. Okay, next technique. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's more to say about gratitude. That doesn't sound like fun. Sounds very countercultural. Yeah, but gratitude works. Okay, let me give you a few examples. Your cell phone may be out of date, but it's better than no phone. Your college assignments may be annoying, but it's better than having no opportunities in life. You may think you've got a dead-end job, but it's usually better than no job. You can be grateful for it. Your relationship may have problems, but it's usually better than no relationship. You can be grateful for it. You may be growing old and feeling pain, but it's better than dying young. You can be grateful for it. When you use gratitude, an amazing thing happens in your brain. It actually releases more dopamine. It gives you pleasure, contentment, protects against depression, lifts mood and improves your well-being. We've got scientific studies to show all of that about gratitude. Wonderful. Okay. So what do I need to do to practice gratitude then? All right. So what I often do in my office is give people some homework to do. And a lot of it involves gratitude. Here are a few examples. I actually say to people, keep a gratitude journal. Keep a small book or a computer file to remind you of things to be grateful for. Then you can browse through it. In fact, you can practice morning gratitude. Each day you can get up and say thank you for your life. It will already start you down the track of a happier day. Just saying thank you to people will give you a lift and it will give them a lift as well. Just noticing beauty in everyday things like clouds, sunset, birdsong, dogs, smiles, they can all be gifts and you can be grateful for them. Now, I know this sounds sappy, but it actually works. It will actually increase your pleasure. It'll open up your world. That's right. It does. It opens up your world. And it helps you keep perspective. If you're grateful for things, you don't sweat the small stuff. Look, how big would your problems look if you were living in a war-torn country? How big will your problems look in five years' time? What can you learn from it? Uh, or even volunteering. Being part of a charitable organization helps you feel grateful and useful. It can help you find friends and help add to your pleasure. Okay, it was Albert Schweitzer that said that the people who get to be happy are the people that help other people. He was basically talking about a form of gratitude and volunteering. And they're all simple reminders to work on gratitude. So to get this going in your life, 
just think about any of these suggestions that appeals to you and see if you can put even one of them into practice. If you can get up every morning and spend a time just being grateful, or if you can put together a journal to be grateful, or if you just notice beauty on a day-to-day basis, your day-to-day pleasure actually increases. Nice. Okay. And it makes your limbic system feel good too. It releases (laughs) dopamine, gives you real pleasure. Yeah. Oh, there's that that, um, saying, I used to complain about my shoes until I saw a child with no feet. That yeah, sort of thing. That sort of thing. That's yeah, right. Yeah. It actually works. So can we go on to the next technique now? Uh, yep. The next technique is to plan your pleasures. Plan your pleasures. Yes, plan your pleasures. To do anything well, you have to have a plan. To do pleasure well and maximize your pleasure, it's actually good to have a plan. Hmm. Sounds a bit rigid, not too exciting or spontaneous. Yeah, true that. But to maximize your pleasure... You want to be able to be exciting and spontaneous without getting yourself into trouble. Okay, so I give people three important pleasure planning questions to get started. Question number one, what goes right when I search for pleasure? Question number two, what goes wrong when I search for pleasure? Question number three, what do I really want? I mean, after all, if if you're going for pleasure and you're not getting what you want, then you want to change something in what you do. Otherwise, you will just not get the pleasure that you want. So these three questions help you draw up goals and an action plan to stop pain and to increase pleasure for yourself in the short and the long term. So how do these questions work in real life? Real life? Let's take an example. Let's take Kyle. Kyle is 19 and his pleasure is speeding. I like my car. I like speeding. I get it right when I get away with it. I get it wrong when I get caught and I want to speed more. Now, unfortunately, Kyle's in a lot of pain. He pays a lot of fines. Nobody trusts his driving and he's on the brink of losing his license. Now, the thing is, if Kyle could put in a plan for pleasure, it would look something like this. I could accelerate but fast but stay within the speed limit. I'll spend time on video games and the money I'll save on fines can go into visits to a go-kart track. Or I could plan to become a weekend car racer and get good at it. Now, if he gets good at it, and that would mean effort, it would mean more pleasure and less pain for him. Imagine if he actually got into car racing and won a race or two. He would feel so much pleasure. This could set him up for a lifetime of pleasure and contentment. Now, as you know, I like following the car racing, okay? And a lot of world championship car racers were rev heads just like uh, Kyle, okay? But they channeled it into something productive. They've got a lot of self-respect now. You don't have to be a champion. I know some people who are into weekend car racing and they've never won a race, but they love it. They are having a lot of pleasure. So for Kyle, planning pleasure could look like this. I'm a dangerous rev head. I could practice on the go-kart tracks. I could become a weekend racer. I could earn some respect. That would be Kyle going from pain to a plan to more pleasure. Hmm. Sounds like a good plan. PPP. PPP. Pain to pleasure. No, pain to plan to pleasure. All right, let's talk about Chloe. Chloe is 24 
and she sees me to combat depression and she gets down about her weekends. She likes to go out with friends. She likes attention from men. She imagines what it would be like to be in a long-term relationship and with the help of a few rum and cokes, she says yes to sex. The sex makes her feel lonely because it invariably doesn't go anywhere and the loneliness makes her depressed. So I ask her the three planning questions. What goes right when you party and look for pleasure? What goes wrong? And what do you really want? So she says, okay, what goes right? I enjoy my friends. I enjoy the rum and cokes. I enjoy the dancing. I like attention from men. I enjoy thinking that someday I'll find a long-term partner. What goes wrong? I hardly ever enjoy the sex. I never enjoy the loneliness afterwards. What I really want is somebody to love. All right, so we talk about these things a lot deeper and we talk about more things that go right and what goes wrong. And then I ask, Chloe, what makes you do the things that you don't enjoy? And she basically says, I don't know. Everybody does it to feel good. It's part of the game. It's just what you do. But it's not getting her what she wants. So we worked on a plan to get her limbic system more of what she wants. And so this was the plan. Chloe said, okay, I'll go out with friends. I will limit it to three rum and cokes. I'll enjoy the dancing. I'll dance with guys, maybe kiss them, but I won't leave with them. Maybe I'll get their phone number. I'll tell my friend Sonia about my friend so she can, uh, so she can keep an eye on me so that I don't screw up. And in the long term, Chloe is doing better. She has less pain and she has a plan to get more pleasure. Her journey was pain to plan to pleasure. So she sees a better future for herself. And if you can formulate a plan to get the pleasure that you want, you can put in a plan for more pleasure now and in the future. Yes, this can really apply to lots of things, can't it? Yes, it can. Yeah. Okay, so how do I put a plan in for pleasure? Well, you use the three questions. The first one, what goes right when you look for pleasure? Second one, what goes wrong when I look for pleasure? And the third one, what do I really want? So in other words, what's your goal? What do you really want from your pleasure? And then I want you to, uh, uh, to add one more question. What's my plan? What's my plan going to be? And then you monitor your outcome. If it's for going out on a Saturday night, for having safe drinking, for having a good relationship, safe driving or whatever, it's actually worth going for what you really want, more pleasure and less pain. Okay, so plan your pleasures. Plan your pleasures. Great. So that's, that's, that's technique. that technique. That's that technique. What's the next technique? All right, this is going to sound strange. You've got to be boss of your own brain. Right. But I'm already boss, okay, because it's my brain. Yeah, but you'll be surprised because from last podcast, we talked about how the brain is like a horse that wants to do what it wants to do. And sometimes we've got to ask who is leading our horse around because let's face it, most of us actually do things that we don't want to do, that get ourselves into trouble. So the question is, who is leading our horse? Who is leading our brains around? Sometimes it's advertisers. Sometimes it's our ambition. 
Sometimes it's our sex drive. Sometimes it's fashion and passing trends. And sometimes it's our feelings. But we want it to be you. This is the age-old problem. Often we do things and stuff our own lives around. Why do we do that? Yes, so often. Why do we do that? Two reasons. The pleasure from dopamine. And secondly, because you're not actually boss in your own brain. There are forces inside you and outside you that are manipulating your decision-making process. It could be you. It could be your ambition. It could be your sex drive. It could be your anger or your emotions. Or it could be outside forces. It could be advertising. It could be fashion. It could be passing trends. It could be your friends that don't always want the best for you. But if your boss in your own brain, you do what you really want. Not your horse, not your sex drive, not your ambition, not loneliness or trends. You. You do what maximizes your pleasure now and in the future. Being boss means understanding when to go with the flow, when to make a stand, and when to go for a balance. Can you give us an example? All right, let's say you're with a group of friends and you want to go to the movies. So some people say, okay, I'm happy with whatever you guys want to do. Okay, so this is somebody who's easily influenced. Other people sort of say, no, I really want to see this film. These are people who are more assertive. Now, to go home and sulk rather than be your friends because you don't get to see your movie is too stubborn. To sit through a movie with high-impact horror, knowing that you're going to have nightmares for weeks just to go with the flow, is too surrendering. You want to be flexible. You want to know when to make a stand and know what's right for you and when you can just go with the people around you. Being boss in your own mind is being self-directed, knowing when to go with the flow or knowing when to make a stand. It's knowing when to say no thanks to another drink or to have another drink if you really want to. Being boss in your own mind says, no, I don't want to have sex at the moment, or saying, yes, I do at the moment. It is making choices based on what you really want. Ah, so you're not being swayed to the right or the left by everything around you, basically. You're the boss. You're the boss. And sometimes you can go with the flow. There's nothing wrong with doing what what your friends want to do. But sometimes you've got to say no. Being your own boss is also not saying no all the time. Sometimes it's going with the flow. It sounds deceptively simple, but it's actually difficult to do. It takes courage to be your own boss. It takes thinking to be your own boss. And it takes persistence to be your own boss in your own brain to lead your own horse so that you can get more pleasure. Okay, so how do you become boss of your own brain? Are there some sort of techniques you can give us for that? All right. Um, I'm going to give you four techniques to become boss in your own brain. A, B, C, D. A, B, C, D. A, B, C, D. Your alphabet. Alphabet. A, B, C, D. A, accept accountability. B, build boundaries. C, connect pleasure and purpose, which is what we've been talking about all the time. And D, delay gratification. Okay, so let's tackle the first one. How do you accept accountability? You accept accountability by being answerable to somebody else first about the things that you do, then be accountable to yourself. Okay, for example, the management of any good company is accountable to shareholders to make sure that there's no funny business. And we're all accountable somewhere to a boss, a partner, a parent, the tax office, wherever. 
in pleasure seeking, you want to be accountable to somebody else, just as Chloe did with Sonia. She told her what her plan was. So by telling your friend, you become accountable. But then the goal is to become accountable for yourself, 100%. So you can rely on yourself. So you can write out your plan and you can stick to it. And when you can stick to it, you're doing it. You're being accountable to yourself. Great. So number two is building boundaries, right? Building boundaries is basically finding a limit. It's knowing when to say no. Now, it's often difficult to say no in pressure from friends because nobody wants to be too stubborn. But it really helps to know when to say no because it makes life more pleasurable. So how do I put in better boundaries in my life for more pleasure? Okay, so here are the questions to ask yourself. What is the one thing I need to say no to more? Then you ask, what are the words that I will say to say no? And can I say things gently enough to be firm but still be accepted by others? So you really have to learn how to say no. You have to learn how to say no. Yes. No. Yes, yes, you do. You have to learn (laughs) how to say no. So here are some words that say no. No. No way in hell. When hell freezes over, fat chance, I'll give it a miss. Thanks, but no thanks. Not this time. I'll take a rain check on that. I've reached a limit. Better not. Actually, no. Thanks for asking, but no. I can't. I'll get back to you on it. Maybe not. Probably not. I'll think about that. But whatever your words are to say no, rehearse them so that they're ready. That way, you won't get into trouble or get into pain when you're going for pleasure. A lot of peer pressure with that, though. Yes, there is a lot of peer pressure for that which is why it's important to rehearse your response so that you can say yes gently but firmly enough. Otherwise, you will end up in pain. Mm. So let's get on to C. C, A, B, C. Accept accountability, build boundaries. And now we're basically coming down to what the whole series is about. Connect pleasure and purpose. If you get this one right, you get to have lasting pleasure and protect against pain. It takes the effort first. The pleasure of tasty food is connected to the effort of hunting, planting, growing, harvesting, and cooking. Effort first, pleasure later. The pleasure of sex is connected to the effort of grooming yourself, putting your best foot forward, going out, finding a partner. Effort first, pleasure later. The pleasure of love and friendship comes after finding a partner and friends and it's continued pleasure needing continued work on all relationships. Effort first, pleasure later. Most efforts are connected to purpose anyway. All right, so if you've got a job, you're gonna get money, that's the pleasure, but it's connected to the effort of doing the job. You've got to do it first. Okay, if you wanna graduate from uni, that's the pleasure, but it's connected to the effort of passing exams. If you get praise for doing anything, that's fine, but it's connected with the effort of doing something well. The effort always comes first. See if you can find a way to connect your pleasure with purpose for a reward. Sure, I'll drink alcohol, but after a hard day's work. Sure, I'll go out with my friends, but after I've done a week's worth of study. Sure, I'll play internet games, but after I've done the assignment. Okay, and there are lots of things that you can do to keep the pleasure connected with the purpose. Okay, great. And the last one, 
is D. Last one, D, is delay gratification. And this is the time element of connecting pleasure and purpose. It means work first, play later, get a reward after effort. Put off feeling good now for more pleasure in the future. Do you want a marshmallow now or do you want two in 15 minutes? If you can delay gratification, you get more pleasure and less pain. It's a skill that can be learned, practiced and developed. So how do I develop the skill? You already have it. Just do more of it and do it consciously. Anything that you have succeeded in, if you have gone from one grade to the next, if you have passed an exam, if you have won a game at any sport, you've already delayed gratification. You've put effort in for something and you've reaped the benefit afterwards. If you have got a job, you put in the work first and then you receive the money. Just take that skill that you already have and do it more. It takes the effort to study, work on a relationship, climb a mountain. The outcome feels good. It's pleasurable. Earn, save, invest, and watch money grow. Exercise and enjoy increased fitness. The increased fitness is the gratification that comes afterwards. Set a goal, put in a plan, and reap the rewards. You don't have to give up the small pleasures. Just delay gratification. Be in charge. Be boss of your own brain. So A, B, C, D. It's easy as A, B, C, D. A, B, C, D. Accept accountability, build boundaries, connect pleasure with purpose and delay gratification. Then you are boss in your own brain. It'll keep your future self happy and help prevent addictions. Okay, so we have gone through a lot of material today. So let's summarize the maximizing pleasure techniques because that's what we want to maximize pleasure and we've got techniques for it. Okay. First one was use the golden mean. So do the Goldilocks thing to get the balance right and avoid the extreme. That's right. The second one was use gratitude. Be thankful for the pleasure you already have to help you enjoy your life more. Yes. The third one was plan your pleasures. Ah, so like Chloe put in a plan to enjoy her Saturday nights without mistakes. Then we had be boss of your own brain. Gently but firmly lead your own horse. Don't be led around by what's trending or your friends. You're going to get into trouble with that or your ambition or your sex drive. Do what you really want. And then there was A, B, C, D. Accept accountability. Build boundaries by saying no. Connect pleasure with purpose and delay gratification. Well, that was quite a mouthful. (laughs) If you're able to do all of that and take care of yourself and your future self, then you can avoid addictions and get more pleasure all lifelong. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, that is it for season one. Just wanted to let you know that we're going to be taking a little bit of a break and then we'll get back to you with some more episodes on the Dr. Christian Heim podcast. We'll look forward to having your company again.